I was reading uh, yesterday that we collect something like 1.7 megabytes of data per person a second. Because it's collecting various information, the data can conflict. So it might sometimes, you know, register you as caring about the environment and then it might register you um, interested in, I don't know, something that is much more... Um, less sustainable and so then it you do get conflicting views of the data it, it collects and that can also lead to kind of interesting uh, sort of what you get served up on the internet. Coming up on today's show we're talking to Nadine Thompson the global chief technology officer at Mediacom and we're talking all about the need for technology to become more local. This is Tech Talks your twice weekly tech podcast with myself David Savage where we discuss ideas and thoughts from across the industry with leaders and bring you a bit of technology news. It's Tuesday. This is going out on Wednesday, but it mm. feels like Monday because we just had the bank holiday mm. at a period in time when I can never really work out what day is what because I spend half my time at home anyway. This is mm. a little bit weird. Every weekend kind of feels like a, an extended long weekend, doesn't it really? Because you're, you're at home a lot of the time and it's just, pff, it is what it is. Um, but it was Although we both, went, we both went in the centre of town this weekend, yeah, which made it, it feel different. Yeah, yeah, we, it was good, and we did. We actually did something. Um, well, I did something, um, which was which was quite decent, I thought, um, and busier than I had expected it to be, if I'm honest. So, it's good to see people. Good to see people that are out um, and kind of meet people as well, socially distanced, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, I, we were saying this before we hit record, but I genuinely think that the centre of town at the minute is quite a safe place to go because most people are avoiding it. Most people, have, and this this does link actually to the interview with with Nadine because we talk about localized, a kind of a shift towards more local kind of services, more local kind of um, focus. But right now, I know that the shops uh, around us in Kingston and Richmond are heaving. Oxford mm. Street was certainly not, and I think it's, it's because people don't people aren't risking to take a longer commute to go into the centre of town and you know, longer journey, that sort of thing. Um, but also at the same time, you kind of think of it, there's a lot of kids and stuff, you know, out and it's the last week before they go back to schools. And, you know, I, I did see a lot of parents and stuff yesterday, especially just, you know, um, queuing outside like uniform stores and that sort of thing. Um, really? Yeah, mate. Yeah. Surely yeah. kids don't wear uniform if they're going to Zoom school. I think I think most of the schools have just said that it's mandatory to come back. I've, I've spoken to a few parents on it. Right, okay. And and their kids are the school that basically said we've got all the precautions in place. You know, we've got everything. Um, get your kid back in school, which is fair fair play to be honest. Um, yeah, I think they're I all think, just going to mix and start giving it to us all again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, that's what we've got Bloody to see. Dirty so, spreaders. Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me of that game you used to play when you were at school called the Lurgies. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, actual <laughs> version of it. Actual, actual version of it. Right, yeah, real, real life. <laughs> Uh, anyway. Today's interview, Nadine, we will hand over to it. We'll come back with some comments afterwards and then a tiny bit of technology news because this is this is a bumper uh, edition of an interview, quite a lot in here. So hand over to Nadine and then we'll be back shortly. So this morning, I'm lucky to be joined by Nadine Thompson. Nadine, uh, you are CTO at Mediacom. How are you this morning? I'm great, thanks, David. How are you? Yes, not too bad. And you work alongside uh, Deirdre, who we had on the podcast probably... Oh, it's getting on for a year and a half, I think. Could be two and a half years. No, it was a year and a half ago now uh, when we met her out in Lisbon. So it's lovely to have someone else from from the C-suite within Mediacom joining the podcast. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, Deidre's great. She does our, our chief digital officer. Um, so do listen to her previous podcast if you haven't already. <laughs> it was in a cocktail bar, which would be lovely if we weren't in lockdown. To I'm a little similar. bit disappointed if, I, if I'm honest, David. I <laughs> had expected <laughs> a cosmopolitan, though it is quite early morning. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I, you know, lockdown, you you've got to do what you've got to do. Actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean... Nearly 11 o'clock in the morning. I suppose if you started work at kind of five for some obscene reason, maybe you'd... <laughs> we maybe are a global company. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. Um, look, very quickly, what does the CTO within Mediacom do? Yeah, sure. So um, CTO of Mediacom uh, leads technology, um, obviously, for, for Mediacom. Mediacom being a media agency part of WPP. Um, and we build um, sort of communication strategies or... Um, strategies for brands on how they best uh, communicate about their brand and how they how they sell their products really um, and build their brand in the right way um, for me um, technology at mediacoms a lot around is a lot it's focused a lot around data um, we have huge amounts of data when you're looking at advertising collecting information about um, the brand, the audience, uh, what's going on, the context in where you're advertising. And we do lots of crunching of data. So a lot of reporting um, and um, analyzing uh, data. It's also a lot around things like um, new business models. So media agencies are looking to supplement their business models with things like consultancy for, on MarTech for clients. That's quite interesting, sort of helping clients their tech stacks um, and we're also kind of moving to more of a creative focus so we will work with creative agencies who will do the content um, of an ad but we will have um, a lot of data and experience about how we might manipulate that content to best serve the people we're serving that ad to and so we are building more of a content focus around um, or creative focus around formats of ads and um, how you um, change an ad for to get sort of a reaction to it. Um, mm. And alongside that, I do all the usual tech stuff you do in an organization. So tech making stuff, life, you know, the stuff lives easier. So um, all of our tech tools, um, though we have slightly different functions than some other organizations. So ours are around planning and, and, and activating an ad. Um, and also we do build sort of tech products for clients. Um, so that might be around advertising or it might be around how they better, um, so that how they better communicate, um, with their, with their kind of consumer base. I suppose that the, the interesting point maybe there to pick up on is the creative aspect, because you mentioned there that you've got lots and lots of data. So I suppose there must be right, right now, there is a huge push obviously towards, personalization of advertising which makes sense because we can't go into physical shops so you can't have that human interaction so i go online and i bear, buy a pair of trainers and the next thing i know instagram is serving me up millions of adverts for trainers which doesn't <laughs> quite make sense because i've just bought trainers so i don't need more trainers but never mind um but i suppose there's that balancing act right between data and how automation and intelligence can serve adverts to people that actually do get them to that point of sale right but in a way that doesn't have some pitfalls and some ethical questions attached to it at the same time yeah i mean there's, there's lots going on there so 
I think interesting point on your trainers <laughs> that you're getting sort of constantly, and I, I, I see it happen myself. You get constantly served uh, an ad of something you're looking at, you've been through the checkout, you've bought, you're like, why are they still showing me these trainers? I already have a pair. Yeah. Um, and that comes um, about um, because of the huge landscape of technology that makes up um, ad tech or martech. So there's 8,000 different technical solutions um, providers out there that make up the landscape. And it also come about, it comes about because of the um, how campaigns are targeted. So the, what you're seeing there is what we call retargeting. Um, so is when you show an ad to, to somebody who has previously viewed an item. And uh, campaigns do that often showing a customer a one-to-one of what they viewed um, or show them similar items. And it'll do that by looking at, rather than looking at you as an individual, it's looking at you as, okay, I'm looking at anyone who's visited the brand and maybe lives in Southwest London, for example, and it might not have the data or it might not have checked um, the data to see if you've been through checkout. And that's where you're then seeing that ad again and again and again. And it is complicated by the fact that um, if you're looking at your trainers on your phone and then you buy them on your laptop, um, the journey sometimes isn't connected. So the organization then does all the, the ad tech doesn't know that you've bought those trainers. Um, and it's also complicated by the fact that you might have um, multiple uh, organ- agencies um, doing that advertise- mm. those advertising campaigns. We use cookies sometimes. So um, browsers generate um, cookies. We store behaviors and preferences. And you don't have cookies on things like um, in-app um, on mobiles. You don't have cookies on things like connected TV. And... Some browsers like um, Safari, for example, don't no longer use cookies and Google's moving away from it. So the ability to kind of um, track your journey is becoming harder. And also, I think brands are becoming more aware that perhaps you as a, um, a customer don't want the brand to know all about your behaviors and preferences sometimes. And so there's also privacy implications with knowing exactly what you've done online, which is sometimes leading to you seeing... <laughs> endless trainers in in advertising i think um what brands are moving to in some cases is contextual advertising so rather than kind of trying to track data of of, of where you've been and what you do it's kind of saying well if you're on a um, a website reading about a holiday then you're probably looking for things like sunscreen or um <laughs> or a suitcase um these are things we may dream of in the future of course once uh, the yeah, well, industry returns <laughs> i mean one, one interesting thing that i had spotted i have for the first time ever i hadn't previously bought something through an instagram ad yep and i, I bought some swim shorts because I thought I might be going on a holiday at some point. Oh dear, David! <laughs> Wasn't that stupid? And then <laughs> I, I got need to get a paddle pool at the back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then I got an advert for a company um, that was making swim shorts from recycled materials. So it was supporting the ocean clear up. Oh, so it yeah. was it was ocean it was ocean plastics that they'd recovered and turned into into swim shorts. Yeah. And then I noticed that I started getting some stuff from other organizations that were also using reclaimed materials. And that I thought I found quite interesting because mm. obviously that, that is quite interesting because it's, it's a range of different products that aren't all swim shorts, but are environmental and on message on that front. And yeah. Uh, so perhaps yeah. in looking at those um, recycled uh, materials for, you know, the swim shorts that the, you've been tagged as an, uh, a sort of an 
a person who is interested in the environment and who cares. I want to feel better about myself a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm good on you. Interesting sustainability. <laughs> and therefore, I, when the advertising for other companies are looking to reach people who care about the environment, then you're getting included in, in that, that kind of massive amount of data. But it, I mean, it is, it is hard when it comes to trying to personalize advertising. And, um, I was reading uh, yesterday that we collect something like 1.7 megabytes of data per person a second um, from online to so what they're doing online. And that's just huge amounts of data that you're kind of, um, you have to an- analyze and uh, segment. And often, um, because it's collecting various information, the data can conflict. So it might sometimes, you know, register you as caring about the environment and then it might register you um interested in i don't know something that is much more um less sustainable and so then it you do get conflicting views of the data it, it collects and that can also lead to kind of interesting uh sort of what you get served up on the internet out of interest then you are a you know you're an organization with a lot of people so where does where does that human moderating kind of aspect of it come into play because there does where you've got you can't just be led by data data especially that kind of level of data can lead you to the wrong answers and can also as we mentioned before pose some challenging ethical questions right it really can um one of the i think one of the really interesting things for me is the so human moderation comes in a lot when we're um looking at sort of the creative content of an advertise advertisements and perhaps looking at the channels we would advertise on so there's exclusion and inclusion lists of different websites where we where advertisers uh, for brand safety reasons and for ethical reasons won't want to advertise so there's there's those those kind of uh, information that comes as part of uh, in, there's that kind of data which is used as part of an advertising campaign. But I think what's interesting there is we move more into AI because to advertise, you need to have huge um, um, a huge amount of content to personalize ads. So different formats of ads, different texts, different um, images. And AI is being used more and more to generate um, people in ads, vo- voices in ads. And there's um, interesting ethical questions that that, that brings in. So we will record, or not we personally, but in the industry, they'll record sort of an artist um, voice and then you can adjust what they say um, and give them different messages. You can give different facial expressions. I mean, we can use AI to change the appearance of people in advertising, so their gender, their colour of their hair or the colour of the skin tone. And I think that um, can bring some real positive outcomes. For example, it's a better way for us to make sure we've got diversity in advertising so that we're showing um, you know, the representation of the real world out there. I mean, an interesting study was done by um, P and, uh, P&G and GLAD where they found, for example, that in LGBTQ plus representation in the media, by having more representation in the media, they were finding attitudes were changing with more acceptance towards that community. And so I think if we think about this in regards to how we change the appearance of people in adver- advertisements and we think about the Black Lives Matter um, I think they need to recognise we've got uh, racism still existing throughout society. We need to be careful to ensure we're using this to diversify advertising and not to create potential bubbles where because, uh, you're, you know, a, a white person then clicks on an ad that has a blonde person with white skin tone in it and then 
or the we register that that is something that they react positively to. And so keep showing a white person with blonde hair. But mm. then we're kind of creating a bubble where people are not seeing a, a diverse society. And so I think there's there's a huge need for um, human moderation, um, sort of going back to your question, in making sure I think we can use AI to help us generate much of this content, which we can use for good. But there's always going to be, well, always, I think in the very, in the short to medium term future, there is going to be a, a, a need for for really that, because AIs aren't, don't have a, a way of thinking ethically. They don't have that context of understanding human ethics and human culture. And so we need that human moderation on top of it. So I suppose the current circumstances as well only strengthen the need for advertising and media to be as representative as it can. If I, if I think back to my own childhood, I, I'm from the northeast of England, I'm from Northumberland, which I think has the lowest immigration and emigration of any regional population within the UK. It is vastly predominantly white Anglo-Saxon. Right. Uh, my high school, there was one kid from uh, a minority group mm, wow. uh, in, terms, in terms of ethnicity. Um, and it wasn't until I went to university when I, when I came down to Essex, which is one of the most ethnically diverse universities in the country, that I really got exposed to a lot of different cultures. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I was sheltered per se when I was growing up, but certainly it wasn't until I left home that I really got exposed to a lot more uh, influences, external influences. So I suppose right now when people are forced to stay home or they're, you know, that you've got people in education who maybe aren't going to university or maybe aren't going to school right now. Or aren't leaving the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The opportunity to show them a wider world is really important. I think it's incredibly important. And I think it's a real responsibility of the industry um, that really you know, has shown how powerful it can be in, in changing, like in, in, in kind of building a brand or, or changing um, a viewpoint. I think it's really it's incredibly important that as an industry that we take responsibility for all kinds of for ethically, um, ethical advertising. There's been a lot of conversations within the wide WPP group. There's been a sort of data and ethics um, uh, group looking at how do we put principles around how we use AI and how do we make sure that um, what we're doing is going to sort of meet an ethical standard. And what should our ethical standard be? And that's generated a lot of discussions um, within the group, which I think are really good discussions to have. But I do think we've got responsibility as a responsibility as an industry. Um, to to do that, just out of interest, I mean, what what effects do you see the pandemic having long term on kind of the way that we live and work? Because because I suppose technology, where it comes to education and local economies, there's gonna there's gonna be massive changes to society, right? That we're still kind of grappling with that we haven't worked out. And tech tech is a brilliant transformative tool, but there's a lot more that it could be doing, right? It's a really interesting question. Um, so obviously education's been um, online for many of, um, for many people, many students around the world. I think it's around 60% of students around the world have actually been educated online for this year um, because of the pandemic. And I think interesting thing for us to reflect on is what if you don't have a laptop at home? What if you don't have broadband? And those, I mean, access to services, um, and then this occurs throughout the UK. Um, so with work, I think um, if you work in an office, you'll be um, probably 
um, fairly lucky where you have been able to work from home, but many many people actually have had to commute or, or kind of go into their workplace because there is no way that they can do their job from home. So it, it does. I think there, the pandemic uh, is changing the way we live and work, um, but it does have a impact on perhaps um, on many people. Um, um, if you look at online education, I think it's great for learning facts, but I think it's it's a it's a difficult forum to have a real argument, debate, reasoning. Um, you've kind of got to go around, and one person's got to talk at a time, and um, it doesn't have that. It doesn't have that flow, and you see this also on the work perspective as well. So again, online remote working is great for BAU. What I'm finding uh, really difficult with it is getting new projects going, meeting new people, and establishing new relationships is much harder to do online. Um, I do think we'll move to having much more of a hybrid model uh, once things return to, I think, normal is even the right word, but once things... Uh, once we work out what normal is. Let's do it, exactly. <laughs> um, where I think um, we'll have um, people who will travel into the office, people who will work from home, and we'll have offices much more equipped to do um, sort of video conferencing. But also I see a growth in um, sort of your... Uh, uh, sort of your remote offices, um, like your WeWork kind of scenarios in um, suburban locations where people will go for a sense of community, but they'll travel close to their home and sort of just travel outside of their house just to um, to do their work. Um, so I do see a, a growth in that, that kind of office because it's hard if you want to, say, have a meeting with someone. You don't really want to do that in your sort of living room. So being able to do that in a, in a, in a, in a proper office space would make sense. And I suppose that's coupled with kind of a potential growth of a localized economy more generally, right? I mean, the one thing I've noticed very on a very kind of rudimentary basis is you go into the center of London right now, it's dead. Yeah. You walk around where I live here, you know, uh, Richmond, St. Margaret's, Twickenham, it's buzzing in a way that it never normally was on a weekday. No, I think I, I think we're going to see city centers uh, changing. Um, and I think interesting impact on um, property as well. Um, so just coming, I'll come back to the high street in a second, but if we think about property, I've got a number of um, friends, uh, colleagues, members of my team who are rethinking their living situation and actually moving outside of the city centres, uh, uh, moving locations, um, in some cases moving countries. Um, so I think people are taking advantage of actually the, um, the fact that they don't think they'll be traveling, commuting in five days a week to the office, but might need to be there one or two days a week or might need to just come in occasionally to actually say, well, where do we want to live then? And it's probably not, it's maybe not in the city center or near the city center anymore. So I'm seeing that. And that's obviously going to have an impact on our and our high streets. Um, I see, I mean, it's interesting what you're saying about your, your, your high street, your local high street. I do see more of a buzz around, um, my high street as well, but I'd also say the high street is changing. Um, we're seeing, I think, um, increased localization of services. So people want things within kind of a three mile radius of their home. Um, but some businesses, um, I think are going to struggle through this period. Um, I think businesses that have been able to evolve. So with, I think like some of my local cafes have also opened as grocery stores during this pandemic. I think that's helped them in, in sort of changing and surviving. Or some of my local restaurants have also done um, takeaway food and are continuing to do that alongside uh, offering a restaurant experience. Things like fashion retailers, department stores, um, 
probably need to rethink their products, their pricing, their operating models. It, needs, it will be much more online uh, than it has been in the future. And so we're, we're seeing big, you know, big organized and uh, big retailers rethinking their store fr- footprints. And you can see that in the media with them kind of either downsizing or, cl- or closing um, some of their commercial properties. Mm. Um, I think the other interesting thing, if we think about the high street, is we are speeding up our move away from cash. Um, so as you go into the supermarket, you increasingly, or into a store, you increasingly want contactless technology. Um, so as I'm using sort of the Sainsbury's till, I'm sort of thinking, why am I touching the screen here? This doesn't yeah. seem... Uh, this doesn't seem like a sort of a wise thing to be doing in the current environment. And I think... We've got, I think what will be interesting is I think we will see more retailers moving to using smartphones for scanning products in stores, for buying tickets at a ticket machine, for entering your destination and paying for, you're doing all sorts of things using your smartphone because that's something we're comfortable using as a, as a piece of technology that we're comfortable touching. Most people, many people have a smartphone, not everyone. Um, and I think we'll increasingly see, um, the retailers on the high street moving towards using that instead of, and that that will be instead of kind of having tills in stores. Like we've already got contactless payments. So it's just an evolution of that. So I think that's quite an interesting change. Yeah, no, I I can see that happening. Um, I suppose it's a trust thing for stores. They've got to kind of maybe kind of see someone walking around and uh, putting products into their bag as they go. It's going to be a mindset Uh, change. It's a bit like the Amazon Go stores where they've done, um, yeah, so using obviously technology to kind of, detect what people are picking up from the shelf and you know putting in the bag and you don't obviously have um they don't have tills um you need to go through um exiting the store i think um more and more stores will move towards that as the technology allows um and it will be a bit of a mindset change um but i mean we've we've had many mindset chains changes over the last um what is that eight months so i I think another one won't be uh that much uh harder um, and I think also just in thinking about um, the high street, I think we'll also see more around um, so contactless uh, delivery, so more around autonomous vehicles. I mean, autonomous vehicles sort of come into their into their kind of heyday potentially um, with everything going on with the pandemic. And drones, which I know are used a lot in China, and we could use those for delivery uh, more as we sort of go forward. Um, so I think there'll be sort of interesting investment and development of those tech areas um, to help with, um, I think, contactless movement and contactless delivery. Look, I, I appreciate your time this morning. It's really interesting to hear what Mediacom are, are doing. Certainly that that ethical piece is, is massive, but also how how business and life is becoming more localized. So I really appreciate your time uh, talking to us on the podcast um, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, David. Good suit to you. So um, look, bubbles. I thought this was an interesting comment. Um, you've got to be really careful with AI and with advertising to not create a bubble. And if we are all sat at home or we all kind of live within a few square miles, I think in London, it's 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 easier to forget that um, actually a large part of the country is can be pretty white in places. Yeah. And pretty undiverse, and um, yeah, if all of a sudden you can't travel anywhere and you're not you're not seeing the same kind of amount of influence, and then AI starts serving you up the same adverts because you seem to resonate to it. So the example that that Nadine gives, kind of a, a white person with blonde hair, then you suddenly stop seeing a diverse society. Yeah, 
which is quite weird, to be honest, when you actually think about it. Um, but me being an Asian guy, it's like, I was, I was kind of thinking, like, I think, I think you also talked about it in your school where, um, you know, there wasn't anyone who was diverse. And in my year, even though, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you, uh, but even in my year, I was the only Asian guy or, you know, um, that sort of thing. And that was only in, you know, whatever, like 12, 15 years ago, something like that. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I think... I think companies and, and, and marketing and that sort of thing definitely should have some sort of filters which would allow you to see that. But then on the flip side, I did think about this as well. If they're following the world or if they're following like even news and that sort of thing, then surely they'll be exposed to diversity anyway. I mean, the football season comes back this weekend, right? Um, if Even if they're in a, in a, a, a you know, pretty white area or population – I'm sure they support a football team or they see a football team or whatever. And, you know, you, you'll have kind of black players, you'll have some diverse kind of personalities in there, TV, Netflix, you know, these yeah, sorts of things. Yeah. So, granted, so, but like the amount of time that kids spend on like Snapchat and, and Instagram and stuff these days, particularly in Instagram. Mm, yeah. If they just, if they just follow their friends, like, yeah, I, I like, I, I follow mainly friends and some brands that I like, and then I, mm. I kind of follow stuff for places that I've been. Mm. You haven't really been many places, and your friends are all from the same place as you if you're in your late teens, maybe. Mm. And then all the stuff that you kind of like, mm. it, I can very, I can, I can see why Nadine absolutely makes a very, very strong argument for as as brilliant as AI can be to generate content, it needs that human moderation still. Absolutely. And and it can it, it can absolutely just drive people down a certain road or a certain path. Um to which you start thinking that way, you know, doing things in a certain way. And then when we talk about it on our shows before, you start to develop that unconscious bias towards, you know, people of the same race, um, ethnicity, you know, kind of name, whatever area. Um, and then that you know, can kind of uh, translate itself into many ways into yeah. all walks of life. So, yeah, definitely agree with Nadine on, on, on that point there. I think, though, as well, it kind of makes a really strong argument. You know, you talked about the football season returning. Um, mm. New Balance, I noticed, had um, an advert running on their feed on um, on Instagram yesterday with, with Coco, the tennis player. Mm. You know, young, um, black, successful female tennis player. And it was quite positive that they were they were finding young, diverse role models, I suppose, to put in front of their audience on social as well at the same time. Because, yeah, football's back, but lots of other sports are not really back in quite the same way yet. Mm, no, absolutely. And I think, I think a lot of the stuff around this time of year, if we just choose, if we go with sport, you, you know, a lot of a lot of um, teams or a lot of brands will introduce you know new kits, new. Yeah. Um, marketing campaigns for new boots, new cricket bats, cricket kits, whatever. And I think now where you have that kind of diverse population or you have more of a an onus to, you know, kind of bring out diversity, you're, you're doing that. So if I was to use um, New Balance again, to be fair, um, they did the, the kind of England cricket kit. You know, it's the first time you saw some, uh, you know, a kind of young person in a headscarf being you know part of the kind of ad campaign and you know yeah. part of the whole story um which then would 
hit people in certain parts of you know England and, and certain parts of the UK who'd be able to relate to that person. So we were talking before about uh about going out and um interacting in, in local environments. Growth in suburban WeWorks perhaps meeting spaces more locally. Do you reckon that would take off? What was that just just to meet? like people is yeah, it is, is that, kind of instead of going into out. a central office i mean I, I thought it was an interesting idea because mm. i would i don't know whether i i can definitely see myself meeting people locally mm. coffee shops probably do i don't know whether i need a suburban we work mm. because if i really needed i don't know it's a tricky because because would you what like if, if you if you were close enough to someone to want to work with them in the same space, I probably would invite them into my home. If I'm meeting mm. someone that's external to the organisation, I'm happy to do it in a coffee shop. Mm. But maybe I'm being naive. Maybe people do want a dedicated working environment that's close to home without having to travel all the way in the centre of town. But I think that would probably just involve a bit bit better kind of internet connection, I'm guessing, and, and maybe just some... You know, I, I don't really see the benefit of that unless you have a, a lot of people that live in the same area. Um, I, I think, you know, if I look at our organisation that we work in, the, the area that you kind of live in, that southwest of, of London, there's a lot of folk, you know, that commute from that area. So it might make sense to have maybe something there. But if it was where I live, you know, and, and the southeast side where you know, I know that there's a few people that come from there there might not be that kind of appetite. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. But I think for bigger companies and, and where I can see this working is consultancies and, and kind of IT services and, you know, those that are providing services to large organizations, that will probably work pretty well, to be honest, um, where they just need that touch point, um, which I think would be great. And we work getting into the uh, headlines once again uh, for something. <laughs> or a WeWork style business. Yeah, or a WeWork style business. I've seen quite a few of them, actually. Um, yeah. So should be. Co-working yeah. spaces are, yeah, masses. Um, and look, one of the themes that we've touched on quite a lot recently, who wants to touch a touch screen in a shop? No one. Mm. And it's it's something that we're hearing as a recurring theme over and over of people working with retail, which means... Well, it says to me that something is going to happen, that we can't carry on living in a world where we go and touch grubby touch screens. Yeah. But I, I'm also, I don't know about you, Dave, but, or, or any of the listeners, but I'm also getting quite fed up of booking everything in advance as well. Like, I, I don't know, you know, it's kind of ruining the sporadic moments of life or just being a bit spontaneous, you know? It's, yeah. just, it's just the whole kind of you feel like you're in such a regiment. So I don't want to go to a grocery store and have to like picked out everything that I want first. Do you get what I mean? And then yeah. go there and pay for it or pick it up or whatever. Like, you know, some of the things I, I don't, don't know about you, but I actually quite enjoy going to a supermarket because you have a little, have a little walk, have a little, you know, look at things. And there's always a few things that you've never thought you needed. And then you go there and you're like, Oh, actually this will buy one, get one free. I'll, you know, I'll get this and I'll, I'll do that or whatever. Or you end up getting like a little, you know, uh, candle for your missus or something. Um, yeah. You know, or you, yeah, or whatever. But yeah, there needs to be, again, that human element needs to be considered because we're not all robots. We don't all walk in straight lines and, you know, turn at 90 degrees. It's like we need a bit of, yeah, just a bit of flex. Um, 
But how do you do that? Who knows? That's why we're not in those positions, eh? Well, I'm not anyway, but... (laughs) (laughs) You're right, though. Like, you know, it was odd. Went into town, on obviously, on Saturday. Went to Covent Garden, went to look for something to eat. Um, Lots of places you had to Um, Mm pre-book. Lots of places were shut. And we were mm. saying, you know, it's it's very odd being in central London with limited choice. Half mm. the, the joy and attraction of mm. London is yeah. the variety and choice and the spontaneity of the place. Well, also, and you know, with um, with the whole social distancing rules, you, you kind of walk past a restaurant, you go, ah, oh, they're empty. I'll walk in there. And then you go in, they're like, yeah, have you booked? It's like, uh, no. It's like, yeah, we're fully booked. And you kind of look over their shoulder. There's like five people sat there in a restaurant that probably sits about 80 people. And you're thinking, are you? And then suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, because everyone has certain times, you know, that they've booked to come in and all these sorts of things. So, yeah. Different world. Different world. Yeah, man. And, and also the fact that you have to book to go to a pub as well. You know, one of the um, the great British kind of culturally, you know, accepted things, you just pick a few mates, go to a pub, and that's it. And the fact that you now have to book a time slot and all these things, it's just – but – we're working towards it. We're, we're struggling. We're all kind of, you know, doing our bit to make sure that it's the end, you know, that we don't see this pandemic again or, or like this again. So, And I suppose yeah. that's Nadine's point. If we bring it back to the interview, you know, the need to go more local, it's going to be easier to have more of a, of a world that we are used to mm-hmm. 2019 style world. If we are more local and we are traveling less and things are contained and I don't yeah. know, getting out of the rhythm of things. Anyway. Yeah. No anyway, <laughs> no. Right, uh, let's have a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to be talking about a very quick bit of technology news. Apple's two trillion plus value overtakes the entire FTSE 100. Apple has notched up another milestone by overtaking the combined market value of the entire FTSE 100 index of the UK's biggest publicly listed companies. Basically, lockdown has been good or coronavirus has been good for Apple. Wow. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of cash. Who's seen this cash as well? I want to know who they are. Is it, it's, not, it's not Tim Cook, is it the guy that gives it the poor keynotes or whatever? Um, cool, that's a lot of money. I, yeah. I wonder what they, they haven't launched any products though in the last six seven months, have they? No, just kind of. Uh, I think they've released a just, new MacBook, maybe. Yeah, um, just like tweaked it. I mean, but I can't imagine there to be any. Do you know one thing I think that, that probably did well? Some of their smaller stuff. I'm imagining. So I imagine like their AirPods and the. The kind of Apple Watches yeah. for fitness, and to be fair, I'm probably guilty of that because I bought an Apple Watch during lockdown. Um, so some of their like smaller gadgets, I think, would have done really, really well, especially with like all the gyms and stuff that are closed and people were exercising outside. Yeah, yeah. Think- so here, here you go. So to back up what you're saying, Apple's pushing to wearable products such as Apple Watch, AirPod, wireless headphones and services mm. uh, such as Apple Music has paid off making more than 13 billion in the last quarter alone. Wow, yeah. That's what I was thinking because I can't imagine yeah. can't imagine any of the other stuff. Oh man. Wow. Fair enough. Yeah. What do you what do you say to that? 
<laughs> what can you say is that? I mean, it's, it's yeah. just insane. Since Steve Jobs has, has stepped down, say what you will about Tim Cook, people were like, oh, it's not reimaginative. He's presided over an over a almost ninefold increase in the share price. Mm. It, and yeah, and if, if that's not success and year after year just going up, don't know yeah. what is. Um, and you're right, look, you know, you know, Nadine was talking about the fact that 60% of students around the world are educated online. Mm, no, it's exactly. like a couple of perfectly placed to take advantage of that. Absolutely, and and they've always had, always have been. They're a bit more fashionable, you know. They're the in thing to to want. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I'm a victim or of my own kind of laziness, I guess, to just buy everything Apple. But yeah, you know what you are, you know what you're part of. What was that? The new screen deal. What's the new screen deal? Basically, the idea that technology is going to pull us out of the pandemic, but you know, at what cost in terms of liberties and data? Anyway, anyway, right on that note, I think we've uh, spoken quite a lot, Akish. So I will bid you farewell. We're going to record the next episode in person. We are for the first time in what six months? Yeah, it's going to be weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, all right, mate. Till next time. Yeah, have a lovely week.